three last time. Peter has gone to the home of Cornelius. And they said, why, uh, Peter said, why have you called me here? And they said, well, we expected you to come with something. And Peter didn't have anything. He was expecting them to ask him something. So eventually he just, we get to verse 34. And Peter opened his mouth and said, usually that was a bad thing. But now that he's filled with the Spirit, now that he's filled with the Spirit, it's a good thing. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, which is something that he learned. We, we looked at it, too, as the, he received the vision of the food, and he was pondering its meaning, that the meaning of the vision was not about food. Otherwise, he would not have had to ponder the, the meaning. He knew that it was something different than that. We've taken as the number one meaning of that vision that all food is clean. But that's not what Peter was taking from it. He knew that, uh, don't be simple on this. Go out there and find out what God is saying. And he waited until he got to Cornelius' house. And then he realized, uh, as we saw in the verses prior, that what God was saying was that no man is unclean. Even though there was no man in the vision. So that was the main purpose of the vision. That was the main thing from the vision. And, of course, we have taken it that the dietary laws are, are gone away. And there's really nothing to say that it is not part of it as well. But that was certainly not the main part. It was about people. That's why it came right before these guys arrived at the house. And Peter knew to go with them. So it says that, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. It is hard for us to say that we are, not in, that we are completely impartial. There's a lot of times that uh, certain things can sway us. Sometimes it can be just the language that people use. If you ever heard somebody using a certain type of language, that can kind of throw you a little bit, be a little partial to them. Maybe you don't like the way that they're talking. Maybe it's a little rough. Maybe it's a uh, whatever it might be. Sometimes we just put that, well, they aren't so good. Maybe we just don't like the way they dress. They dress like motorcycle gang people. Well, we don't necessarily want to, you know, we kind of classify them a certain way. And it's hard for us to, just be impartial all the way around. Most of the focus we have anymore is on, on race things and, and treating people without partiality in the area of race. But there's a lot of other areas that we can do. Rich people to poor people, people who have this type of car and people who have that type of car or whatever it might be. There can be some, some partiality there. We do need to make sure that we are not hindered from doing what God told us to do. But he says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, in essence, God does show some partiality. He is partial to those that are his. He, has, uh, he loves those that are his. He corrects those that are his. And there's something special that he'll do for those that are his. But he wishes that all would become his. And he's impartial in, in that way. We have to make sure that we are willing to, to bring everyone into the family. But in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So if there are people out there who don't fear him and don't work righteousness, they are not accepted by him. But in every nation, doesn't matter the nationality, doesn't matter the Jew or Gentile or Hellenist or whatever it might be, the word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching, uh, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. The word you know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Well, that was the ministry of Jesus, to go about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This is a thing that Jesus even spoke about himself. God does not oppress anyone with sickness. It is the devil who always does that. And we know that. We can go back there and show people in the, in the verse here. But too often, God is being blamed for all this oppression that goes on. But Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So there were witnesses. Peter says, uh, we are witnesses. He's talking about the apostles, not, of course, the people in the household there. But the apostles, that we are witnesses of the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. They were witnesses of him being hung on a tree and killed. They were witnesses of him being raised up on the third day and being shown openly, but not to all the people. It was never God's purpose that Jesus would show himself to all the people once he was raised. But God appointed certain ones that Jesus would show himself to. And Jesus had the ability, when he was raised, to have people see him and not know who he was. We saw that on the road to Emmaus. Probably happened other times as well. But there were certain people, Peter tells us here, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God. Isn't that amazing that God chose beforehand who was going to be the witnesses of Jesus? Before Jesus was even killed? Probably before even Jesus was born. He already has the, the witnesses picked. Even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So we didn't just see him, we also ate and drank with him. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody who saw him also ate and drank with him, but these folks did. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So all the prophets are witness to this, that whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. doesn't matter what they did. Nothing like that. And this is a very simple message that he's preaching. And this is as far as he gets. Because in verse 44, But while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Obviously, they're receiving the word. Or the Holy Spirit wouldn't be fallen. But that's all that he gets out. And there's really nothing astounding in this, this thing at all. But the anointing of God is on it. And Peter was sent there not just to bring words, but to bring an anointing. And he brought this anointing. These folks, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they didn't see what the Holy Spirit did when he fell upon other people. They didn't see it at all. But he did the same thing in Jerusalem that he did here. Peter talk, talk, talks about that later on when he recounts it. Verse 45, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Remember, some of the Jews came along with, with uh, Peter. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. Well, they were amazed because they're all still expecting. All right, well, even if God will save them, they need to do certain things. They need to get circumcised, water baptized, and so forth before God will put the Spirit of God on. He's, God says, nope, he did all that before 
such things happen. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he's really looking over to the Jews who came with him and uh, just kind of speaking to them. Any of you guys uh, stand up and say a reason why these folks shouldn't be water baptized? And uh, Even if they thought something, they didn't say it. And Peter can certainly have that to say when he gets back. I even asked them. Not a single one of them stood up. Because you know, there's always critics. Whenever God does something, there's always critics. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This is again where Peter's asked to stay a few days. After uh, a great miracle has heard before, we saw it with some healing miracles. This time we see it with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they wanted him to stay around. And, and of course, while he's staying there, he's going to be teaching them. He's going to be teaching them other things that God is doing. They wanted to learn. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumstances contended with him. So it seemed that the news of what God did got to Jerusalem before Peter did. Because Peter stayed a few days back over there, taught them, did whatever it is that, they, that God wanted him to do. And then when he finally does come back over here to Jerusalem, they all started surrounding him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? You went into people who were not Jews? You went into people who were uncircumcised? You went into people who eat all sorts of stuff? And you ate with them? You can hear the disdain in their voice. They, they miss talking about what God did. They're focusing on what Peter did. That's, a, that's unfortunate. News seems to, as we said, news seems to hit Jerusalem before Peter did. And here they are contending with him. So Peter explains it, verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa. Praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me when I observed it intently and considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and the birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at, the, at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was having been sent to, to, sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. He's pointing to the guys that would come along. This, now we find out that there were six of them. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa. And call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now, if six went with them, that means seven all, all together from their uh, seven other Jews all together went. I don't know if that was intended for them to send seven, but at least six people came along, seven all together went. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved? And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. So here he recounts it the same Holy Spirit, the same way he fell on us, he fell here. It was done the same way. Nothing was, was different. It was the same Holy Spirit. It was the same God sending it. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I that I could withstand God? <laughs> this, this is a, that's a good advice. If you see God moving somewhere, if you see God doing something, you may not understand all that it is, but if you can recognize that God's doing it, don't get in the way. Don't condemn it. Don't put it down. If God is doing it, if God moves on a bunch of bikers, biker uh, gangsters, and you see that it's the Spirit of God moving on them and healing and the Spirit of God is being poured out, don't sit there and say, well, this isn't... Don't, don't, don't sit there and criticize it. Don't let any kind of uh, partiality come up. And that. No, you just say, glory to God. Well, they didn't speak right before. But now the Holy Spirit fell upon them. I bet their language is going to change. I bet their actions are going to change. I bet things about them are going to change. Because that's how we do. We don't change until we have the help of the Holy Spirit with us. When they heard these things, they became silent. That's good. Because a lot of times, critics don't always become silent when they heard the explanation, when they see the, that God is in it. They continue to criticize. They continue to put it down. But these folks didn't. To their credit, they heard the explanation and they became silent and they glorified God. So they became silent in their criticism and loud in glorifying God. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now these were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now that's not what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. But they went out into all the world and preached the gospel to the Jews. That was it. So as they ran into people, they'd find out first off if they were Jews or not. And if they were, then they would uh, preach the gospel to them. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, so they didn't come from Jerusalem, apparently. They came from these other cities. And when they came to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists are just uh, Gentile people, Greeks, who became Jews. They didn't just become worshipers. They, they became Jews, and they were called Hellenists. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. But now we only got, we're only preaching to two groups. We're preaching to the Jews and to the Gentiles who became Jews. The Gentiles are basically left to themselves. We're not preaching to them. That's not what they're called to do. They're supposed to take the message to everybody. But here we get the, the uh, word of God going as far as Antioch. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas comes to the, to the city he sent. News of this comes to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem says we ought to send somebody out there to help. And of all the people they had, they picked up Barnabas. And they said, Barnabas, you're the guy. Go on out there and help him out. Teach him. Instruct him. Help him along in this purpose. So Barnabas, he is sent, and he's glad for what he sees. He's seeing the grace of God being poured out, and people come to, to Jesus. But he probably also saw that more grace was needed. Something was, was, more was going on. And so he, in verse 25, Then Paul departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember, Barnabas had a little bit of a relationship with, with uh, Saul before. And he knew this is a man who understood the grace of God. This is a man who was in sin. 
but the grace of God was found him and, and gave him another, another shot. This is a man who's in grace and not in the law. We can go get him. So he goes over to Tarsus. He knew where he was sent over to Tarsus, but he, could, he has to go over to Tarsus and find him. So it says he departed for Tarsus to, to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Doesn't take him to Jerusalem. He brings him over to Antioch. This is how Paul got started being based out of the church of Antioch. And the church of Antioch is going to grow into one of the most influential churches in the area. They will send out many missionaries and become more powerful than even Jerusalem. Jerusalem is still a very powerful church, but they are always battling legalism. They're always battling the law, their, their entanglement with it. And Antioch doesn't have any of that. Antioch is free of it. And Paul uh, unites himself to Antioch. And later on in some of Paul's writings, you're going to see Paul says there's kind of a division there. There's those that are of Antioch and those that are of Jerusalem. And that's not always good. But uh, Paul knew where he was from. He was from Antioch. And those are the ones who had sent him out. They will be the ones who will send him out. But he comes over here to teach them because he's over there learning some stuff. And he was over in Tarsus. And that's probably the time when he was receiving the vision from God. The uh, direction when he was called up into heaven. And explained the things of the church age. The mystery. And now he's going to be commissioned to go out into the world and to teach this to people. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So this is where they got that name, which is just uh, Christians or people that are of little Christ, as it's often, often told. But they stayed there for a whole year teaching and getting this thing going on. Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas in your midst teaching for a whole year? That church is getting off to a real good start. And they became a very solid church. But they began to teach somewhere in there. Paul was beginning to teach more than just the Jews and the Hellenists. But the Gentiles were brought in as well. And they were, they were taught. So they were doing what God had called them to do. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they, weren't going, they may have been starting to go in the world because it was getting a little hot over in Jerusalem. Persecution was getting turned up a little bit there. But they weren't necessarily going out and doing anything more. Remember that uh, the parable that Jesus told? Jesus told about the parable about the, the vineyard. And he said God gave his, uh, 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 a king gave a vineyard, rented it out to some people. And they rented that vineyard and they were supposed to pay tribute every year and they decided not to. And so he sent people along and they beat them up. Some of them they killed. And so finally the owner of the vineyard said, you know what? We'll send my son. We'll send my son and Surely they'll, they'll listen to him. And they saw his son coming and said, Oh, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And so uh, they killed him. And uh, Jesus says, What do you think that the master, the owner of that vineyard, will do to the tenants who uh, have charge of it? And they said, Well, he'll come over and he'll kick them out and he'll give it to someone else. He said, Well, you said well. And that's exactly what God's going to do. And they got mad at that, so they went out and fulfilled the prophecy. They decided to kill the son. It is amazing that they could not see that. But they could not because of their... They couldn't walk in the wisdom of God. They couldn't see. They didn't have the ability to discern. They didn't have understanding. They were foolish and scornful in their interpretation. Not even simple. At best, foolish and more probably scornful. And which is why they could go out and do the very thing that Jesus said they would do and not even see that it was the same thing. Verse uh, 27. 
And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up, showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. They had, this they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this may have been why they left after a year. They may have intended to stay longer. But they needed someone to take the offering back. And so they gave the offering to Barnabas and Saul. Now the prophets came in. Let's take a look at that. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's interesting that they would come from Jerusalem all the way up to Antioch. I'm sure they hit places along the way. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. The word here for all the world is actually the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. It's not the entire globe because Rome really only saw the world as their empire. Anything outside of their empire wasn't worthwhile. That's just the way that they looked at it. So that's the word that is used there. If the famine is going to happen throughout all the world, here's a question for you. Why are they taking up an offering for Jerusalem? If the, if, if the famine is going to happen throughout all the world, it's going to happen in Antioch. It's going to happen in some of the other places that are out there as well. So why take up an offering and send it to Jerusalem? This is showing goodwill between the two churches. And Antioch certainly is... Uh, uh, Jerusalem may eventually have some something against Antioch because of them being a Gentile church. But Antioch is certainly showing that they're, they're starting off here in the right way. Well, Jerusalem had just gone through this revival. And Barnabas probably was telling them about the revival. And Barnabas was one of the ones who was involved in selling some of the things that he had in order to finance the people who came on in. So the resources of the church in Jerusalem were low. If a famine was coming in, they wouldn't have as much as the rest of the world was because this is where the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And people who came out for the feast of Pentecost stayed longer and the church took up that. And so to help them out, since they're already kind of low, they sent out the offering. It's probably more likely the, the reason why they did that. And then the rest of the people could just get ready that the famine was coming. So you know the famine's coming. Start storing some stuff away. Go back in the Old Testament. What did they do when they knew a famine was coming? Follow the advice of Joseph. Do the, some of the things that he said to do. Just be, be ready. Don't just be, uh, be going all at it. Well, we have preconceived ideas or notions. These things will hinder us from the people that we are to minister to. They can hinder us from seeing the things that God is doing or from allowing God to continue to do the things that he's doing. We don't want to get in the way. As Peter said, look, we saw the hand of God. The Spirit of God fell. How can we stand in, in, and stop what God was doing? Can't do it. We hear this often through the Word, but we need to do what God commands. If God says to go, you go. If God says to preach, you preach. If God says to lay hands on, you lay hands on. If God says don't go, don't go. We just need to do what God says to do. Once we do what God says to do, we need to just watch who receives what God does. When you go out into a group of people, and you may think, well, oh, these people don't deserve the gospel. Well, these people have been mean. These people have been nasty. These people have been whatever. And God starts moving among them. Don't be, don't be thinking, man, these, these folks shouldn't be receiving the, things, the good things of God. If you see the hand of God, rejoice. If God poured out his hand on people, 
Don't ever sit back there and think, yeah, but these people did this. Yeah, but these things, don't, don't be worried about it. If you went into a prison, the Spirit of God moved and people were being healed and set free. Don't go out of there and say, well, God, how come over at our church we got people who aren't in prison? And that, that's not, don't be doing that. You see the hand of God move. You rejoice. Be silent in your criticism. Be loud in your rejoicing. So there's the time. There's the places where, God, where the hand of God is moving. There's where, the, where you want to spend the bulk of your time. That's where you want to spend most of your time at. In, in those, plane, those things. When you see the hand of God moving. The hand of God may move over a handful of people. It may move over a great multitude of people. It does not matter. If we see the hand of God moving, we rejoice and we get involved with it. And whatever it is that's, that's going on. And God moves all kinds of places. Sometimes God moves on people and we wonder, why is God moving on this one? That's not right. It's, it's, it's because we're looking at things in a works kind of a way. Well, look what they did. They deserve this. They should have this. But wait, this, we, we can't do that. We have to get out of that works mentality and get into a faith mentality. If people get into a place where they're ready to receive by faith the Word of God, miracles will happen. Good things will happen. And you just rejoice in it. Sometimes the religious people, people that have been Christians all their life, the people that have been Christians for years, sometimes they're the hardest ones to get out of a place of, of doing that. But we certainly can recognize the hand of God. How shocked Peter must have been. Because I understand this is all happening in a couple of days for him. He's, uh, he had all his preconceived ideas sitting up there in the rooftop of a tanner's house. Unclean occupation. He's there on top of the roof smelling all that smell from the tanner's house. And this vision comes out. And then these people come. And then he goes to the house. And the anointing of God hits him. And he preaches. And the Spirit of God comes down. And he's just seen all kinds of stuff going on and it's just blowing his mind. But he doesn't get in the way of it. He lets God do what God's going to do. So God knows he can trust him. Peter, I know that if I put you in a situation and you don't understand everything that's happening, you'll recognize my hand and you'll let it go. You'll jump in. And this is what we need to do. We may not always understand, but we can recognize the hand of God. Now on the flip side, sometimes people say something is the move of God. And you can recognize the hand of God and realize it is not. It is the hand of flesh. Flesh mimicking the Spirit of God. Don't get involved with that. Get away from that one. That isn't going to help anybody out. It may look good to, to some Christians. It may seem boisterous and excitable and all that. But now recognize the hand of God. He says the Spirit of God was poured out on them as it was on us. The same way. Recognize what it is that God does. Because God does things the same way. It's the same God. It's the same Spirit. Situations might change a little bit. But it's the same God and it's the same Spirit. He's the same one when He comes down. And we can recognize Him. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We may not always realize why the Spirit of God moves here and the Spirit of God didn't move there. We may not always realize why this one receives things from God and this one over here does not. But we know how to recognize the hand of God. We know what moves the hand of God in its faith. Just in a situation like this, people are hearing the word, but they are receiving the word. They're not resistant to it. They are receiving it. And in the midst of a sermon, the Holy Spirit is poured out on these people. And they begin to speak in tongues, and they never even heard anybody speak in tongues before. But it's the Spirit of God that came upon them. And the Spirit of God 
gave them the same gift. And the same thing happened. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to always be able to recognize your hand, the things that you do. When your word is preached, we receive. When your spirit is poured out, we don't get in the way. But we help all that we can, do all that we're supposed to do, that that move of God will hit all the people that it can. Help us, Father, in this life not to show any partiality based on things that men sees, but the Father have your heart on this, that if any man, any woman, of any nationality, of any prior actions or belief, if they are ready to receive the Word of God, we are ready to deliver it. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.